Hello, everyone. I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Welcome to the Betting Pros Podcast brought to you by BetMGM, where you can get a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 when you use the highly original promo code BETTINGPROS with your first deposit. All right here to talk week 13 NFL best bets is Jay Croucher, the lead betting analyst at NBC Sports. Jay, uh, we are officially in December, you know, like where does the time go? But uh, how's the season going for you? Yeah, it's been interesting. I think it's an it's an interesting NFL season when you have largely two teams in the AFC who are anchoring the whole league in a way with the Chiefs and the Bills. And then the NFC now we're seeing three teams, I think, really separate themselves and the Eagles, the Niners uh, and the Cowboys. But yeah, I mean, it's been a fun season uh, for me personally You're in a bit of a new role at the moment. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the last couple of months. All right. Well, so now I have a, I have a couple of questions. First, I need to ask about the new role you mentioned there. So you were at points bet and now you've moved into the media side. Can you talk about that a little bit, you know, sort of like the, the transition, what uh, inspired the move uh, and, and how you're adapting to it? Yeah. So like you mentioned, uh, I was at points bet. I was the head of trading there. So working on, everything from setting lines, moving markets, moving prices, analyzing clients. Uh, and now I work at NBC where my job is to get to talk about betting from a content perspective. So I think I'm pretty well positioned to be able to do that given my previous role. Uh, I was skewing to media stuff as well while I was at PointsBet because NBC was a partner there. Uh, but look, to me, this role, this new role is, is more fun, frankly. I don't have yeah. to write reports, I have to write emails, don't have to analyze clients and write up the senior management why we're why we lost you know a million dollars on the eagles covering or whatever so uh yeah really enjoying the new role at nbc uh it's a lot of fun yeah and i think the uh the pod that you do if it's not every day it's almost every day but i think you do it every day uh with uh, drew densick well capper uh, i think that's a, a great listen yeah, we do the Bet the Edge pod uh, every day, Monday to Friday. Uh, I'm on each of those days outside of Thursdays at the moment uh, with Drew, who's, you know, one of the smartest guys around and also just, you know, a good guy to hang out with while you're listening to the podcast. So, uh, yeah, I highly recommend uh, that everyone get involved in that. All right. So, yeah, good show to check out. And uh, Will Capper, uh, you know, he's on the show earlier in the year. As you said, fantastic guy. You mentioned earlier, you know, we've got these two teams at the top of the AFC, you know, supplemented by these three teams uh, at, at the top of the NFC. And I'm wondering, you know, we I talked about this on the Tuesday show, but I'd like to get your perspective on this. How it is that you would stack those teams? You know, because th those are probably the teams that a lot of people have in the top five. If if not all of them are in the top five, certainly they're all in the top eight. But what what are your kind of your relative thoughts on all of those franchises? Yeah, well, I think right now the best team in the NFL is Kansas City, uh, and that's largely because of the injuries that Buffalo have on defense. I think that fully healthy Buffalo are the best team in the league, but you know. With the injuries that the Bills have had in the secondary, now in the defensive line, we'll see what happens to Von Miller. Seems like he will be back. But, you know, with with the injuries they dealt with to Poyer and Hyde uh, in particular, I just don't think this Bills defense is as fearsome as it was at the start of the season. It's not like the Chiefs have an amazing defense either, but I think that they, uh, with the level that Mahomes is playing at, uh, I think it has always been overblown, the loss of Tyreek Hill, because it's still Patrick Mahomes behind a great offensive line, the best tight end ever, maybe, in Travis Kelsey. Uh, and then they have enough 
with the wide receivers that they're they've just got enough kind of cards in the deck uh, between Kadarius Tony and Juju Smith Schuster and MVS and Sky Moore and uh, Michael Hardman. You know, some of those guys are going to show up. Uh, enough each week that you know they have probably the best offensive football so I think the Chiefs particularly if you're looking at futures markets they should be the Super Bowl favorite because they have a cleaner path to the one seed than Buffalo which is now you know with just that one buy available so crucial so I would go Chiefs one Bills two and then I mean Niners Cowboys and Eagles I think they're all the same team to me I think that the Niners might have the highest ceiling when they're fully healthy because they have arguably the best defense uh, in football. And then, you know, once we have all of McCaffrey, Debo, Jimmy, Kittle, Ayuk, all healthy and 100%, uh, I think that offense is, has the potential to be kind of ridiculous. Uh, whereas, you know, with the Eagles, we've seen that their troubles defensively. Uh, also, I don't think that Jalen Hurts is perhaps at the level of Dak Prescott when Dak is fully up and running. I think that's close, but I still think Prescott is probably the best quarterback of those three. Uh, and so the Cowboys, you know, they've had random weird games this year, but for the most part, I think they're right in that mix as well. So those three can't really split them. If I was forced to, I'd probably have Dallas the best, then the Niners, then the Eagles. But uh, what do you think of that order? I have them ranked exactly the same way. Uh, and for me, there's a little bit of a teardrop between Dallas and San Francisco and the Eagles. I have, uh, let me see here. This it feels like it's probably a little too high, but I have Dallas is six points better than uh, an average team on neutral. San sure. Francisco, 5.75, Philly, five. And then Kansas City and Buffalo ahead of them. Kansas City, I have seven and a half, Buffalo, seven. Yeah, I think that's that's totally reasonable. Uh, and I think it is fair to have now. Like I do think there probably is a little bit of separation between Dallas and the Eagles, just on what we've seen the past few weeks. I think that also the way the Eagles struggled against the Colts is a little bit of a concern, given yeah. what the Colts did against the Steelers. And the Niners, to me, it's just mainly a question of health there. Uh, and we're going to get into that game, but... Like, is, is Jimmy okay with the knee? Or is that like an MCL sprain that's just going to be hidden the rest of the way? Uh, what's going on with McCaffrey's knee? What's going on with Debo's whole kind of lower body? Uh, so that would be the concern with the Niners there. But fully firing, I think they have the potential to be the best team in the NFC. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so this morning I published on Betting Pros my projected spreads for every game. And per usual, I established betting positions early, but uh, there are still some games that I like, and Jay has some bets that he likes as well. So that is what we're going to cover for the rest of the show. And I want to get us started out with definitely not uh, the Super Bowl, but a game that people are going to be watching with some anticipation, and that is the Browns at the Texans. And uh, let me just make sure that I'm looking at the most recent lines here. Uh, yeah, this number is still seven. And uh, man, I got to say, it feels disgusting, but I am betting on the Browns in this spot uh, as seven point favorites. And I grabbed this early on the look ahead line at five and a half, because even, even then, before these two teams played in week 12, I didn't think there was much of a chance that this line would be below seven. So I logged it at five and a half uh, in the betting pros app. And here comes the plug. The Betting Pros app where you can sync up with sports books, get free betting advice and picks and track experts, line movement and your own bets. And you can set alerts. We monitor all the major sports books, including BetMGM. Use the promo code Betting Pros for your $1,000 risk-free 
bet at first deposit. That was the plug within the plug. Uh, we monitor all the sports books. So when one of them has lines that uh, move and it hits a threshold that you set, you can get an alert and make the bet. So download the app today in the Apple or Google Play Store. Okay, so enough of enough of the uh, the reads here. I can actually get into talking about this game. Uh, again, it feels disgusting to be betting on a road favorite uh, of seven points or more in general, uh, and then especially to be betting on a quarterback who hasn't played in a year and a half, and then all of the other things that are surrounding this game. But you know, Brissett, Jacoby Brissett. I thought he did a pretty good job filling in for Deshaun Watson to open the year. This was the best year of his career. Uh, you know, he was, I would say, above average, uh, like conservatively above average. And in, in some metrics, he was actually like pretty good. He was top 10 in composite EPA and completion percentage, number 14 in adjusted yards per attempt, number seven in ESPN QBR. But I still think Watson is unquestionably better. I have him as four points better than Jacoby Brissett. He might be rusty in his first game back to action, especially new team, new head coach, new teammates, new offensive system, but he is still an upgrade on Brissett. And in his 2020 campaign, he was number one in the league in passing yards, number two in adjusted yards per attempt. In his absence, the Browns have had a top 12 offense, maybe even a top six offense, number six in EPA per play, number four in uh, offensive DVOA. I think it's unlikely that the offense is worse with Watson and it could be significantly better. And as for the Texans, they're the worst team in the league. You know, I don't think there's any question about this. Now, in theory, this is their Super Bowl. They could have a larger home field advantage than usual. Like, I imagine that it will be a pretty hostile environment for Deshaun Watson in Houston, uh, given everything that transpired and the departure with the Texans. Uh, so, you know, for the team more than for Watson, I think this is, you know, the hashtag revenge game. But I don't think that actually matters. You know, like even as a backup quarterback, uh, Kyle Allen is a subpar player. Uh, and now he's the starter for the Texans. Their offense is lifeless. Their defense is horrible. And they might be without number one cornerback, Derek Stingley, who's been out for the past couple of weeks with a hamstring injury, didn't practice yesterday. I'm skeptical he returns this week. So unfortunately for Houston, this matchup to me points towards a, a big win for Cleveland. Again, this number is seven. I have it projected at 8.25. And given that I can get it on the key number of seven, I do feel pretty decent betting it. Jay, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this game. Yeah, I would be pretty shocked if it closes seven, to be honest. I think this line should be minus eight and a half. Uh, and the thing with Deshaun, I think the, the Browns are the most interesting team in the league, which is weird to say because they're four and seven. But at the same time, I think that just between the talent that they have outside of the quarterback position and then Deshaun Watson, who last time we saw him was playing the top five quarterback level, and then you just throw him in, he is clearly the most high variance player in the NFL the rest of the way. He could be an MVP level player the rest of the way, and he could be way worse than Jacoby Brissett. We just don't know. But yeah. for this game, I don't think it really matters because I don't think that he's going to be asked to be an MVP candidate because the Texans have an outlier bad run defense. And you know now they get to go against uh, Nick Chubb and one of the best offensive lines in football. So uh, I think that, yeah, the Browns, they should be fine in this spot. To me, one of the weirdest things of the entire season is why Cleveland's defense has been so bad. Yes. I just don't really understand why they're 29th in DVOA on defense when they have uh, Miles Garrett and Jadevian Clowney and they've gotten a really good season out of Newsom and 
Denzel Ward's been terrible for some reason. Uh, John Johnson just hasn't been the guy that he was in Los Angeles. So kind of keep on waiting for them to just turn into an average defense. And, you know, maybe it will happen. Also with 12 weeks in and that hasn't happened. So that gives them a lot of upside. So really interesting team the rest of the way. And I, I think they should be able to handle the Texans. All right. Well, another team that is really intriguing and in the same division, Baltimore. And this is a game that uh, you are looking at. And I believe you are on Baltimore here at eight and a half. Talk to me about what you're seeing in this game. Yeah, I think this line will close double digits. I have it minus 10 and a half. I think that Baltimore, their offensive issues have been a little bit overblown in terms of the lack of receivers that Lamar has. And yes, that definitely limits their ceiling the rest of the way, but it's still Lamar Jackson. He gives you an incredibly high floor on offense. And you've still got Mark Andrews, who's a top three by any definition end in the league and Devin Duvernay and Demarcus Robinson who you know it's not like the second coming of Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle but they've been fine so I think there's enough there on offense against the Denver defense that definitely isn't what it was at the start of the year they lose Bradley Chubb Pat Sertan has been lit up lately in ways that he wasn't getting lit up at the start of the season and I just think this Denver offense is just completely hopeless at this point you know Russell Wilson is playing like a bottom 10 quarterback there's not enough on the offensive line or skill positions to compensate. So Baltimore are the number two team by DVOA. Denver are the number 26 team by DVOA. Uh, So I think that Baltimore will have enough here to be able to cover an eight and a half point spread. What do you think? Yeah, I have this projected exactly at eight and a half. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. Normally, if you like a larger favorite, you know, more than a touchdown, I would say qualifies as a larger favorite. Normally, if you like a larger favorite, you you also probably incline a little bit more to the over. Uh, but this game just, I mean, it is so disgusting. You wonder how did how did, did the Broncos score points in this game? And the Broncos, you, you mentioned some of the uh, exploitability uh, that they have in their defense, but it's still, I'd say, top five top five defense this is just an under team and so uh even though i i do like the ravens to win this game and i if i had to bet on them at eight and a half which is where i have it projected i would still go on the ravens versus the broncos but even at 39 and a half i still probably like the under more than i like either of the sides i mean the the broncos are i think they're one in 11 sorry one in 10 uh, in terms of their over under. So they're 10 and one to the under uh, in, in terms of totals. That is just unfathomable, but they're a team that's built for it because they've got a great defense and just an absolute like worst in the league type of offense. Yeah. I think that this is like, it's the perfect spot for a Wong teaser to be able to take it from eight and a half <laughs> yeah. down to two and a half. Cause the total is 39 and a half. So it's just like, it's the perfect spot, particularly if you're like me and you like the Ravens minus eight and a half uh, anyway. So it's also maybe the biggest coaching mismatch of the week. I would say yes. where John Harbour yes. is clearly one of the best coaches in the league and Nathaniel Hackett is out there doing his Lionel Hutz impression every week. So yeah, I, I like the Ravens in this spot. I think it will close higher, but certainly the, the teaser options get it through seven through three down to two and a half is also pretty appealing. Yeah. I, I like the call on the Wong teaser there. I think that that's pretty sharp. And yeah, if, uh, if this line continues to move up, grab it now. You know, that now is the time to, to grab it if you're looking to tease. All right. So another game that uh, that has caught my attention here, the Giants 
hosting the Commanders. Giants, uh, let me make sure I have the right line here. Two and a half is the number that I am uh, that I am seeing in the market. And, you know, it's it's moved up. Uh, so moved against the Giants. Uh, I was the the moron who bet this line earlier than I probably needed to. But, man, uh, I still I still like this line here. And, uh, you know, trends, whatever. Uh, some, sometimes there might be some signal there, but Daniel Jones is an underdog. He's been pretty good. 23 and 14 against the spread as an underdog, eight and three against the spread as a dog within division. And, you know, looking at this matchup here between the commander's defense and the giants offense, that defense is the strength of the team for the commanders. And it's good. It's not great. And defenses that aren't either really great or really bad, like defenses that aren't, you know, an outlier in some way, they're all kind of generally speaking, in my opinion, like on a continuum. And the commanders, they do have a defensive edge over the Giants offense, but it's not a massive edge. In EPA per play, the commander's defense is number seven. The Giants offense is number 11. In total DVA, the commander's defense is number 11. The Giants offense is number 16. Like there's not a wide gap in quality, in my opinion, between these two units. And even when you look at the matchups of passing and running game, I don't I don't see a large edge for the defense. The commander's defense is number nine in dropback EPA. The Giants offense is number 12. In rush EPA, the Giants offense is number eight. The commander's defense is number five. Again, like the commanders, they have a small defensive edge. Uh, I don't think it's enough to explain the spread. And then you look at the areas where I think the Giants definitely have an edge. They're at home. They have three extra days of rest because they played on Thanksgiving. They could be healthier given that if you look at the Wednesday injury report, right tackle Evan Neal, center John Feliciano, tight end Daniel Bellinger, and cornerback Fabian Moreau, all of those guys who missed last week, they were able to open this week with a practice. And as a strategist and decision maker, head coach Brian Dable, probably better than head coach Ron Riviera. And then you have quarterback Daniel Jones, who is unquestionably better than Taylor Heineke. And again, Jones, as an underdog, has performed well in that situation. So if you give me a divisional matchup between two teams that are roughly in the same tier, and I think they are in the same tier, uh, I would give the edge to Washington, but it's not, again, a massive edge over the Giants. You give me a divisional matchup between two teams in the same tier, but I can bet on the team with the better coach and the better quarterback as a home underdog I'm probably going to do it most of the time. So that's how I'm viewing this game. Jay, I don't know if you have any opinions on it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, it's not just because I'm a guest on the show. I do. I do agree with you 100%. I think that this line should be commanders minus one. So a two and a half. It's not a massive, massive edge, given that we're talking about under a field goal, but it is definitely an edge. And I think you touched on it. The main thing is with the Giants injury report, like they got to the point against the Cowboys, where it's just not viable. Like, they're a bad team <laughs> right. already, and then they're just losing everyone on top of that, and mainly in the second era in the offensive line. And you mentioned the names, Feliciano, Evan Neal as well as full practice. Fabian Moreau, who, with the Dory Jackson being out, becomes even more important. He probably gets the Terry McLaurin matchup. And I think the other thing with the commanders, who are somehow 7-5, and five, that has kind of been lost in the wash, is that Taylor Heineke's terrible. He's a dreadful quarterback. He's a bottom yeah. five quarterback in the NFL. Uh, and it's been the defense that's carried them. Uh, and they're just getting enough on offense. But yeah, I think with a bit of additional rest, 
uh, with the coaching advantage, playing at home. Uh, and also, like, if you, if you like the Giants and you think they're going to win, then you should bet on Brian Dable now to win Coach of the Year because his odds will plummet uh, and shorten significantly if they win this game, uh, if they get to eight wins somehow, uh, because he is doing the most with the least at the moment. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you on the Giants. I love that call. The the forward-looking future call, that that's fantastic there. All right, a, a game that um, might be the one I'm most looking forward to this week. We have the matchup of the Dolphins going on the road uh, to San Francisco. So a matchup of, of two guys who know each other really well in Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan. And, uh, you know, I think there's, you know, there still might be some value in the the sides, but the total is where you're looking here, under 46 and a half. Talk to me about how you see this game playing out. Yeah, I don't understand why this total is so high with all the injuries on both offenses. And to me, the big thing and maybe the biggest injury to watch for the set for the last two months of the season is Teron Armstead. Yeah. Because the Dolphins are a different team without Teron Armstead. It happened even against the Texans, where as soon as Armstead went out, Tua was getting sacked on 36% of his dropbacks. That's absurd. He was averaging three yards per dropback. Uh, they just look like a completely different offensive line. Uh, the backups and, and shells, not great. Uh, so I think that going up against Nick Bosa and co without Teron Armstead uh, is going to be a problem for Miami. Uh, and also, if you look at the Niners offense as well, I mean, we talked about it before, but, you know, Jimmy G is banged up. McCaffrey's dealing with the knee. Debo had the hamstring. Now he's got a quad contusion. A uh, little bit concerned there against the Miami defense, which is, you know, perfectly possible and still I think has a ceiling to get to uh, when Xavier and Howard starts playing better so I just look at all of this look at all the injury uncertainty and I think that the under is the play here very concerned about Miami's ability to score against the San Francisco defense without Teron Armstead yeah uh, and is I mean as you mentioned Teron Armstead right multiple injuries the the toe which has been lingering all season and then the peck which uh, you know was thrown into the mix recently and then Austin Jackson the right tackle uh, you know he he's out too or I mean it looks like he could be out again didn't practice with the ankle injury on uh, on Wednesday so they could be missing both starting tackles which that's uh, that's bad enough and then on the other side uh, for the 49ers. They could also be without guard Spencer Buford uh, in addition to all of the other issues uh, that they're dealing with on offense. So I can, yeah, I can see it. Um, you know, I think people would expect an offensive matchup given, uh, you know, the, the intricacies of the Shanahan offense and well, what they can do when they are fully healthy. And then given everything that we've seen out of the Miami offense, but you know, these are teams that are injured offensively and two coaches who do know each other really well. And I think that familiarity can also lend towards a lower score, scoring game. So yeah, I can see it. Yeah. I think it's like, it was a little bit kind of lost in the wash that the Niners scored 13 points against the Saints, against the Saints defense that is getting better certainly and was elite last year. But I mean, with the level of talent, they should be scoring more than 13 points against the Saints. Uh, certainly, I think that with the injuries building up, that that offense isn't going to be what it will be at the end of the season. And I think that if you're looking at like futures and the long play, I think that Miami with Armstead there 
like that team can win the Super Bowl. I think they have that much talent, particularly on offense, that they would be the team in the AFC most likely to shake up the Bills or the Chiefs. I'd probably, with this Armstead injury, I'd stay away from that until you uh, get through the Bills game, which I think that they're going to lose now without Armstead and playing in Buffalo. But, you know, if Miami drift out without Armstead to plus 1,200, plus 1,300 to win the AFC, then I think that's definitely a bet. I think this team has a lot of ceiling the rest of the way. Yeah, so this is kind of correlated with the idea of Miami winning the AFC, and that's like a a separate thing from Miami finishing as the number one seed. But, you know, there's this idea that if things break right for Miami, voters might have a little bit of Mahomes fatigue maybe Tua would win the MVP. I'm not I'm not there. I like I think if Miami actually somehow gets the number 1 seed, I don't think Tua would get the full credit that a another quarterback might get if his team were the number 1 seed. I think you would see Mike McDaniel as coach of the year and that is how they would maybe uh honor what the the Dolphins had achieved. And maybe you see Tyreek Hill get offensive player of the year but I don't think we would actually see Tua get uh, the MVP. But do you have any thoughts on the MVP market and and Tua as a potential candidate? Yeah, I don't. Just Tua missing those, what, two and a half games, basically. Uh, I just I think that's insurmountable in terms of his counting stats versus Mahomes. Mahomes is going to have a thousand more passing yards than Tua, and he's going to have a lot more passing touchdowns as well. So I, I think Mahomes is a bet at his current price, to be honest. He's around yeah. minus 150 in the market. I think it should be more like minus 250. I think if Mahomes, if Mahomes gets the one seed, which is clearly a favorite, then that basically knocks out Tua, It knocks out Josh Allen, knocks out Lamar, Joe Burrow, all of these guys. I think the most realistic candidate to beat Mahomes is Jalen Hurts. And that's a pretty uninspiring dark horse, to be honest, because yes, you look at all the numbers and for the most part, the most deserving candidate wins MVP. But I think voters will have the same issue I have where it's like, are you going to vote for Jalen Hurts MVP over Patrick Mahomes when you clearly know that Mahomes is better and he has the narrative without Tyreek Hill yeah. and he's going to have, like he's going to flirt with breaking the all-time passing yards record. So I think Mahomes, barring a complete catastrophe, is going to win MVP and, and he would be my bet in the market. I'd have Hurts the second favorite just because he might go 16-1 and one, and then Tour and Allen would be kind of tied for third. Yep, I, I hear you there. All right, so uh, another game that I want to look at here uh, is, let me get to it, Raiders hosting the Chargers. Raiders <clears throat> plus one and a half. And by the way, n- another plug coming up here. Speaking of the Raiders, the moment has come. For weeks, I've been talking about the free signed Josh Jacobs Raiders jersey, courtesy from our friends at Pristine Auction. And uh, what a time to give it away. Uh, right after last week, he went off, dominated on the ground, and totally trounced my dynasty team of record, by the way. Uh, Max Mulpain, I couldn't have been more wrong about Josh Jacobs entering the season, and I have definitely paid the price for it. But uh, you will not have to pay for this free signed Josh Jacobs jersey. And by you, I mean user this is such a mouthful oh2nu5fd5u you are the winner of the jersey please get in touch with our customer support agents at mailbag 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 at fantasypros.com with your uh, mailing address and your proof of subscription to the fantasy pros channel and we will hook you up with that jersey we'll ship it to you again the winner is user oh2nu 5FD5U. Congratulations to you and congratulations to me on getting through that and now being able to talk about this game. Raiders plus one and a half. 
hosting the Chargers. Jay, there was a point not all that long ago where I swore off betting on the Raiders uh, at any point in the, the future. I, I believe that was when they failed to cover against the Jeff Saturday-led Colts, and I just hated myself uh, for having bet on the Raiders. Uh, of course, now I'm going to hate myself because I'm doing it again. I'm betting on the Raiders at plus one and a half going against this Chargers team. And the, the Chargers, they're better. I don't think there's any question about that. But this is a, a something of a matchup-specific bet. You know, you have world-beating running back Josh Jacobs. He's dealing with a calf injury, but he had the same injury last week, played through it, totally dominated. He was able to open this week with a limited practice on Wednesday, so I expect him to play on Sunday, and I think that's the difference in this game. The Raiders have a top-12 offense, a top-six rush attack. They have a massive edge against the Chargers' defense, which is horrifically vulnerable against the run, so much so that it actually does impact their overall performance in yards per play and points per game. Uh, and on the opposite side of the ball, the Chargers' offense, in theory, it should have a large advantage against the Raiders defense, which in my unit power rankings is dead last in secondary, like the number 32 secondary in the league. This Raiders secondary is atrocious. That said, I'm skeptical that the Chargers actually will exploit that matchup in a maximal way. Uh, they have a dink and dunk type of pass offense, and they're probably not going to have Mike Williams, who is you know more of their downfield threat, who's played just six snaps since week eight. And so with the running dominance, I think the Raiders have the largest edge in this matchup, plus one and a half at home. I actually have this Raiders minus one, uh, not you know a massive defense going a massive difference going through zero, but a little bit of a difference there. So plus one versus the minus one. And I gotta say, like this is it's a year for underdogs. Uh, Derek Carr, 51, 42, and one against the spread historically as an underdog. Underdogs this year, 99, 75, and four against the spread. And in division, underdogs this year are 33 and 20 against the spread. So I am on the Raiders in this spot. It's just sort of a, you know, hold my nose and, and bet it and don't watch the game and just hope that it turns out in my favor at the end. But Jay, I don't know. Do you have any opinions on this? Yeah, this feels like a good value bet that absolutely is going to lose, right? It just feels <laughs> yes. like it has to be bet yes. and it has to lose. That's just how it is. I mean, I think the Raiders are one of the most underrated teams relative to public perception. Like, this isn't a bad team, and the market, for the most part, has valued them this season. They've, there have been some, I think, some weird lines where people have been like, why are the Raiders two-and-a-half-point favorites in Tennessee? But the market has always believed in the Raiders, and I think it's because of the talent level in that, you know, the passing offense, Derek Carr is playing better, Devontae Adams is a top-four wide receiver in the game, and Josh Jacobs has been the best running back in football so far. Uh, so I think the offense clearly has the talent. It's just, to your point, the pass defense is just not salvageable. Like, they're never going to be able to defend the pass. They don't have the personnel. Max Crosby, uh, it's him and no one else, really. And he yeah. gives you a little bit of upside and variance on third down, being one of the five best defensive players in football, maybe. He's that good and certainly the most underrated for my money. But, yeah, I think... The best thing that the Raiders have going for them is the Chargers injury report is not encouraging for Los Angeles where they've got uh, Derwin James. He didn't practice uh, yesterday. Bryce Callahan didn't practice. Trey Pipkins didn't practice. Khalil Mack didn't practice. That's just the rest day. But they are banged up. Mike Williams also, he didn't practice. And to your point about the dink and dunk, I interviewed Austin Eckler about this a few weeks ago. And I was like, well, you've got... And it's not like a unique question, but you've got Justin Herbert in his arm. Like, why don't you guys throw deeper more often? And he's like, yeah, we don't want to dink and dunk. 
And we have to because there's no Rashawn Slater and our wide receivers are banged up all the time. And so this is just kind of what our offense has to be until we can get to that point. So that point probably isn't going to be this week because they're banged up. So, yeah, I, I would be taking the Raiders at the current price, but because they're the Raiders, you just expect it to lose. Yeah, that's fair. And to your point about uh, it being a value bet that's just destined to lose, I bet this first at two and a half. So given that I have the, the closing line value on top of that, yeah, I just feel like I'm already looking at a loser here. Yes, 100%. Uh, okay, so final game here for us to talk about Green Bay. And all of this is under the assumption that Aaron Rodgers is playing on the Pat McAfee show. He said he expects to play. The head coaches said they expect Rodgers to play. So I'm assuming even with the thumb, uh, the broken thumb, even with the, the ribs injury, assuming that Aaron Rodgers is playing here, going against the Bears, uh, who potentially know Justin Fields. Uh, so, you know, in that regard, large edge for Aaron Rodgers, who historically has absolutely owned the Bears. Uh, I mean, he's he's told them to their face that he owns them. Uh, you are looking at the Green Bay team total here of 24 and a half. Uh, I like it. I like it. What do you see here? Yeah, I just think that this Bears pass defense is might be an outlier level of bad after what Mike White did to them uh, last Sunday, putting up 31 on them in the rain, his first game starting for the season after how badly the had Zach Wilson and the Jets passing game and entire offense had struggled. I think this is right now, it was already a bad pass defense and now you're without Eddie Jackson, Jaquan Brisker didn't practice yesterday. Still got the concussion. Kyler Gordon as well. He didn't practice. Uh, so I just think that this Bears defense is just its just not tenable at the moment. I think the Green Bay offense is also a little bit underrated because, yes, they have struggled a little bit to put up points. But the problem with Green Bay has been their defense. Offensively, they've been efficient enough. Rodgers hasn't been at MVP level, clearly, but Rodgers has been fine. He's been playing at an above-average quarterback level. David Bakhtiari's back, and he's David Bakhtiari again after a bit of a slow start. Christian Watson's emergence now gives them a legitimate threat to go opposite Alan Lazard, who's like the poster boy for sneaky, good wide receiver who's perfectly solid. So I just think that with Rodgers playing, which we fully expect him to, uh, that this Green Bay offense in conditions in Chicago, like it's going to be cold, but not expecting rain at this point. So I think that the uh, the Green Bay offense should be able to get over 24 and a half. Yeah, absolutely love it. Uh, I'm, I'm with you on this bet. Uh, all right, Jay, awesome to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Tell the people uh, where to follow you on social and where to find your work, anything you want to plug. Yeah, so you can follow me at CroucherJD on Twitter, on Instagram. I do, as you mentioned, the Bet the Edge podcast with uh, the great whale capper Drew Dinsick uh, basically every day of the week except for Thursday. I also co-host the Fantasy Football Happy Hour with Matthew Berry six days a week, Monday to Friday, noon on Peacock, and then Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, and then the second hour on Sunday runs on CNBC. So, uh, yeah, a lot of places to find me for better or worse talking football. All right, fantastic. He is Jay Croucher. I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Check out Betting Pros and Fantasy Pros for all my work. Best bets, player props, fantasy favorites, player projections and rankings, and more. If you like the show, please rate and review on your favorite podcast app. That is going to do it for the Week 13 Best Bets edition of the Betting Pros pod. Thanks for tuning in. Good luck, and see you next episode.